you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. Creative Pep Talk helps you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with Creative Pep Talk and my creative work by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Just a heads up, this episode is now part of a series I'm calling Deep Dive. It starts on episode 144, You Are More, and uh, this is the fourth episode in the series. It's uh, I'm deeply passionate about it, and uh, it's going really well, so I uh, got a lot of good feedback on it. So thank you guys, and enjoy. So I was listening to the Pete Holmes podcast the other day and he had a guest on there and they were talking about how when you're a kid, you're always trying to get your parents to look at you, even if you're not really doing anything fantastic, you're just super desperate for attention. And uh, they went on to say that like as adults, maybe we don't actually change that much in that uh, that success and fancy cars and all this jazz is really just us saying, 
look at me, dad, look, look at me. Uh, And that it's just slightly a more grown up way of doing that. That's not actually uh, that mature. And, uh, you know, it got me thinking about my daughter who is two. And, you know, if I'm sat drawing, doing something, she'll come up and, uh, and say, look at me, look at me. Just like my favorite sound in the world. And I'll look over at her and she stood there and I'm desperate. I want to be a good dad. I want to be there in the moment. I want to support her. I want to, I want to notice her big life moments. So I'm looking over at her. I'm staring at her. I'm trying to figure out what is the headline. What is unusual and noteworthy about what's going on with my girl today. And I just, I'm trying hard, but I can't see it. I don't see what am I supposed to be looking at. And so I don't want to do it, but I say, what is it? What, what, what's going on? And she says, I got socks on. <laughs> like, okay, you got socks on. That is not headline worthy, but I'm celebrating it with you because I care. And uh, <laughs> it actually reminds me of my early days, uh, and even sometimes now, uh, creative journey where I feel like I would, I was making art, putting out there in the world, sending messages, doing social media tactics, sending promos out. And I feel like all I was saying was, look, dad, I'm making art. Isn't that amazing? I'm making art. But the fact of the matter is, uh, as, as proud as my dad might've been about that, Millions and millions and millions of people are making art and it's not really headline worthy in it of itself. You know, making art is as unusual as someone going on a walk. And and I just have this vision of somebody calling into a newspaper, stop the presses. Listen, I've got the big juicy goss right for you. This is your next headliner, baby. And the reporter, the journalist is like, yeah, give it to us. What's going on? And he's like, I went on a walk yesterday. And they're like, okay. And then what happened? He's like, that was it. (laughs) And they're like, well, was it at least a really long walk? They're like, no, I'd say it was probably below average in length. And they're like, "Uh, okay, were you naked when you walked out there? And he's like, no, I, ha- I was fully clothed. And they're like, okay, well, uh, just trying to figure out like, you know, millions of people out there are out there walking around. Like, what's the headline of this story? Like, why is this different than anybody else? And the guy's just like, uh... I made it look good. And then it's click, dial tone. (laughs) Like, I feel like early on in my art career, there was a lot of moments like that where I'm like, hey guys, I'm making art. And uh, what's what's special about it? It's cool. It's it's really cool. It's cool art. And uh, there's not really any story there. There's no like, there's no big headline. There's no special thing. Like, what is it about your work that is unique and headline worthy and worth people's attention? Uh, And I think it's worth thinking about 
the type of dedication that it takes and the type of discipline and the type of unique qualities that it takes to pour into your work to be headline worthy, to warrant people's attention. And uh, I was reading an article the other day about this guy called, he, they call him the Nimble Will, I think it's Nimble Will Nomad. And he's a famous, legendary walker. He's not one of those guys that just calls up the newspaper because he went on a regular walk like millions of people. He actually is headline worthy. This was a story that the newspaper was actually covering. And people talk about him. He's a legend in the field. And uh, he's gone on you humongous walks from like one side of the country to the other side of the country. And uh, he... he if, if anybody ever questions his dedication or anyone's like, oh, this is just, a, you know, a phase this guy's going through doing some long walks. All he does is he takes off his shoes and socks and he gets his foot out and he shows them, look, no toenails because he had his toenails surgically removed so that he couldn't get an infection on his long walks. That is headline worthy. That's the type of walking that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I'm talking about doing the kind of creative work that shows toenail removal dedication, the kind of disciplined pursuit and in, in pouring into your own work that grabs headlines, that warrants people's attention, that's not just the run of the mill walking around the block. That's what we're going to be talking about today. It's another part of our deep dives. Uh, it's, it's another part of our deep dive series. Today, we're going to talk about last episode, we talked about how you can test the waters, how you can gather some metrics and help understand where, uh, where you might want to dive deep next and then make some work that kind of tests those assumptions, see how that goes. Today, we're gonna to talk about what it looks like to commit to one direction for an extended period of time, for a season of your life with real discipline and real dedication to make such a deep dive that you actually make a splash. And I want to share with you how I've done that in my own career, even though I'm not the most disciplined person. I'm kind of, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to stereotype anybody, but it seems like there's a stereotype that creative people are not necessarily the most, uh, the biggest planners or the most organized or the biggest uh you know, they're not necessarily type A or super disciplined. And I fall into that category. And over time, I learned some tricks on how to get myself to be toenail removal dedicated to the direction that I wanted to take. And that's what we're talking about today. So today we're talking about how to have the discipline and the dedication to dive deep, to invest time and energy into your work in a self-initiated way without anybody uh, making you do it consistently enough and deep enough to really make a splash. You know, that toenail removal kind of dedication to your own work without anybody asking you to. 
And how do you instill that kind of discipline and dedication in yourself if you're not naturally a super disciplined dude? I'm not. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, getting reflective in my old age, of the old age of 31, and uh, and I'm just, I, you know, <laughs> I've looked back a lot of like, uh, since I was in high school, and I look at the person that I was when I was like 18, and I think about who I am now, and I have dramatically, dramatically changed, and I feel like the only way that I've made progress in you know, developing myself and in my career and all that is tricking myself, finding weird ways of changing my mindset to trick me into doing things that I needed to do to progress. And that's why I'm, I'm always searching for those things. I'm always uh, fascinated by those little shifts in perspective that are game changers. And the truth of the matter is, uh, I'm the type of person, you know, I had Meg Lewis on, uh, not long ago, she was a guest on the podcast and she was talking about how she never goes the same way once and she's always trying to do things differently and I'm exactly like that. Like I'm not brand loyal to things. Like I like to change things up all the time no matter what it is. I'm exactly like that and when you're like that, it's hard to be disciplined because you don't like the mundane uh, doing the same thing over and over and over again. I hate anything that feels routine or mundane. It just drives me absolutely wild. And yet, in order to make a splash, I knew at some point I realized that I was going to have to be dedicated and disciplined in my creativity and really march one direction for a long enough to really make a statement, you know, to do something that was worthy put it, to, to put on my portfolio resume, if you will, and really uh, make a splash. And it wasn't easy, but I finally figured out some tricks that helped me uh, be more disciplined in my creative work. And today I want to just tell you kind of what that is. And basically, looking back in my career, two of the really, really big splashes that I made on my own accord with my own initiative were this project I did, which was the Nod Project. You've heard me talk about it before. It's where I drew a new character every weekday for a year. And that's 260 characters. I didn't miss any. Every, every weekday, I would draw one of these characters, give them a name, write a little blurb about their personality, and post it to my Tumblr. And, uh, and I didn't miss one day. And that dedication and that kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, steady, deep dive in that direction was something that kick-started my career back up when it was really struggling. Uh, that was, I started it in 2011, and I'd graduated two years before that. I had a good year. The first year I graduated, and the second year, everything dried up. And this project was how I kickstarted it back into action. And I'm convinced that the only reason it made a splash was that toenail removal dedication, that like, I'm not going to stop, even if no one cares, I'm going to see this thing through. And actually, you know, for the first 150 days or something, nobody really did seem to care that much. 
and it just was like this lone treasury going forward. And uh, all, but all the while, I remained dedicated and I remained positive. And the reason was, was that I built in multiple layers of strategy to where I knew I had no chance of losing. And that is the trick that I want to talk to you about today. There's a really good episode of Tim Ferriss, by the way, uh, that he talks to the creator of Dilbert. You should go check that out. I'll try to put it in the show notes for you. And he talks about doing the same thing. He was putting words to something that I've been doing for years. And I was like, yes, I love this. And that's what I'm going to be talking about on today's episode. And in my creative pep talk podcast, the podcast you're listening to right now, I did the exact same thing. And it's one of the ways that I stayed consistent and posted every a podcast every week for almost three years now, even even when the first year and a half, two years, things weren't going insanely well. I wasn't having some crazy massive breakthrough. It was all on the back of dedication and discipline. And here's what I would want to tell myself 10 years ago before I'd ever really seen that I was capable of discipline and dedication in my work, even when nobody expected it from me, even nobody, even though nobody was asking me to do it, and even though I'm averse to being routine and disciplined. And this is the trick. I call it multiple layers of strategy. And it's this idea that you can bake in so many layers of strategy, and some of them guaranteeing to work out that it gives you the belief to keep diving, to keep swimming, to keep digging, even if all of the layers of strategy don't work out. And I'm going to try to post a little diagram, a little silly diagram of this onto my Instagram later this week at Andy J Pizza. If you want to follow along with that, here's the idea for every project that I do. I have these five layers of possible strategy for a personal project. And some of the first layers are guaranteed to pay off. And it's this deep-seated belief of guaranteed payoff that keeps me disciplined to the end. And it's this deep-seated belief of guaranteed payoff that keeps me disciplined to the end. And here's the idea. It's basically a spectrum from uh, the kind of, on the left, you've got the most likely to happen and work out, the most guaranteed, but you know, not giant wins. All the way to the right side, we've got the biggest wins, probably not gonna happen, but wouldn't it be awesome? They're more aspirational. And they, and they work in tandem. So the one on the left, they, they work because you're like, I know I'm going to get this out of this project. And the ones on the right, you're like, it's aspirational. It's hopeful. It's like, man, if I play my cards right, maybe it's going to really, really pay off in a big way. And here's how it works. The first one on the left, the one that I know is going to pay out. If I've tested the waters, if I've looked at the metrics and I've, and I've figured out a direction that I think is the next right road for me to explore my creative work. 
uh, be that, you know, a, a specific market in my industry, a specific style, whether it's a, a genre, whether it's that what my album should be about thematically, whatever it might be. If I've done that deep dive work of figuring out what the next road is, one of the ways, the first way that I know that this project is going to pay off is that it's going to, at the very least, worst case scenario, eliminate an option. And you've heard this before with Thomas Edison, where he'd, he'd like tried a thousand uh, five hundred different ways of creating this light bulb and none of them worked out. And someone was like, yo, man. I don't think he sounded like that, but he was like, yo, Edison, let me, let me break it down for you, man. Aren't you super disappointed and discouraged that you've tried so many times and it still hasn't worked out? Like, how are you staying dedicated and disciplined in this thing when you failed so many times? And his response was, that was 1500, uh, times that I, 1500 wrong ways that I've eliminated, which means I'm that much closer to getting the payoff. And so for me personally, even if this next season I commit to a personal project that doesn't go anywhere, at the very least, I can cross that direction off my list and I've thoroughly explored it. And I know that I can put an X on the ground of that field and say the gold is not under there and I can move on. And at the very least, that is progress and just kind of see it as a scientific experiment. I've got a hypothesis, I'm gonna thoroughly test it, and the worst thing that could happen is that this is not the right hypothesis, and at the very least, I can cross it off my list. So I know in my personal project that it's gonna at least pay off in that way and create a little progress. The next level to the right, the next thing that's pretty much guaranteed a little bit less guaranteed. It's not completely guaranteed like the elimination uh, piece, but it's almost as guaranteed. And it's that I'm going to learn something along the way. At the very least, I knew with my Nod project that even that, first of all, I was going to eliminate whether I wanted to do this fictional character design, whether I wanted to do this melancholy world, whether I wanted to be a world builder. At the very least, I was going to eliminate that off the off the table if it didn't turn into anything explosive and I wasn't really feeling it by the time I'd finished the year. Second of all, I thought I'm going to embed some possibilities for learning. And I thought at the very least, I'm going to make so much stuff with this. I'm going to make 260 characters. I'm going to have some happy accidents in my style that will uh, turn into more original elements in my style. And at the very least, even if that doesn't really happen, every day I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be writing about these characters and maybe I'll start developing my writing voice as well as working on my style. And so the second layer that's nearly guaranteed, if you do something with dedication for a season of your life, you're pretty much guaranteed to learn something and that's progress all on its own. Now, uh, Third level, the third level of strategy that I bake into every project is portfolio building. At the very least, I know that at the end of that 260 uh, character project, I was going to have a massive 
uh, thing to put in my portfolio that was going to beef out my portfolio as this legitimate thing that you can put on your resume. When you've done something that long, even if it's self-initiated, it's resume worthy. It's like, check this giant legitimate project out. This is toenail removal kind of dedication. And that's worthy of a headline just by sheer volume and dedication. And I knew that I was going to build out my portfolio in a direction that I wanted to go that I knew that I would be able to show the kind of work that I wanted to get next. And actually for the podcast, it was exactly the same way. I had a hunch that doing talks and conference stuff was gonna be a possible new direction for me, a way to kind of expand what I was doing. That was my hypothesis. And I knew by doing the podcast and before I ever started, I guaranteed myself that I was gonna do 100 episodes at the very least, even if nobody cared, even if nobody listened. I'd, I'd had, you know, I'd done, done a few talks and I had enough of a hunch, enough of a real hypothesis. It wasn't just a guess. It was like an educated guess. Uh, and I had enough of that to know that I needed to explore this direction thoroughly. And so at the very least, at the end of 100 episodes, I would have a good sense of whether this was a thing that I really needed to do or not. Secondly, I knew that I would get better at doing talks and coming up with ideas for talks if I made 100 episodes. I was guaranteed to get better at it. On the third level, I knew that even if only 150 people listen to it, I could put it up as a portfolio as of my conference talks. Like this is a portfolio of all the things I could speak about and act as my portfolio for anybody that has any connections to people booking speakers. And so having a portfolio online as an illustrator makes me that much more likely to get booked for speaking gigs and I knew I knew layers 1 through 3 were pretty much guaranteed and that meant even if it didn't turn into anything else even if it didn't go uh into an explosive realm that that dedication was guaranteed to pay off and with that kind of belief like if I told you if I told you that hey if you walk for 3 hours every day at the end of a year, I will give you a million dollars. And you really believed me. You trusted me. I showed you the money. You knew it was going to come. You would do it. No questions asked. Even though it felt silly, even though it was all on your own, even if it was just your own discipline, your discipline was equal to the payoff, to the incentive and the belief that it was going to pay off. And actually, even worst case scenario, you could say, well, at the end of a year, if I walk three hours every day, the worst case scenario is that I'm healthier than I am today. And so you build in these multiple layers of strategy and you believe that it's going to go somewhere. That's where discipline comes from. Discipline isn't just running one direction because you said you were going to do it uh, and you just happen to be type A discipline. You do it because you have faith that it's going to turn into something. And if you don't have faith and if you're confused and you're not sure if it's really going to pay off, you're not going to keep walking that direction. And in my experience, that kind of doubt is what stops creative people from truly showing the level of discipline they need to make a splash. And so at the very least, you can bake in the elimination option, eliminate an option, learn something and build out your portfolio with this next deep 
dive, this next self-initiated deep dive. Now, on top of that, you've got two other layers. The next layer up that's a little bit not as of a sure thing is that this will act as marketing. If you're doing an online project, uh, it could work as content marketing where you're providing free value for people's attention, which is like one of the best types of marketing that you can do today, one of the only effective types of marketing you can do. And so if you're putting out free content for people's attention, you have the potential that it starts spreading and that it, this project and this deep dive turns into your marketing and possible new opportunities around the type of work that you're doing, the type of work that you want to be doing, the type of work that you're exploring. So that's possible that it could turn into marketing. And if it's a print piece, if it's an actual uh, physical object that could turn into promo material that you could then send to potential customers, people that could potentially hire you. And so again, it becomes marketing collateral at a different layer that could possibly turn into new work. And then the last uh, rung of the ladder, the one that is probably least likely to pay off and turn out but is aspirational and hopeful is it turns into some kind of new revenue stream, some kind of new income, some kind of passive income. And I knew that from both sides. I thought with this uh, Nod project, it could turn into products, it could turn into prints uh, that end up making me money. And I knew with the podcast, if it went super, super well, I could end up getting sponsors and then bake out, bake it out. I could bake out. I don't think that that's where I was trying to go with that sentence, but I could turn it, what I'm trying to say is I could expand kind of like a loaf of bread with yeast in it. (laughs) That's not an analogy. It's terrible. Listen, what I'm trying to say is at the worst case scenario or best case scenario, maybe this could turn into a new stream of income, a passive stream of income uh, that I don't already have if it really went well. And with the Nod project, which was one of my earlier deep dives, it, it barely turned into any financial uh, gain on its own. Uh, the, you know, but with the new one, the Creative Pep Talk, after being dedicated and going for the long haul, going to all 100 episodes, after I had got to 100 episodes, it actually completed every layer of strategy. It, uh, it went, it's definitely surpassed my wildest dreams, but it wouldn't have if I didn't have the toenail removal dedication. And that's why all these layers of strategy and convincing yourself that the deep dive discipline is going to pay off because if you believe it, you will do it. So for any of you that uh, were hoping that I would quit talking about Harry Potter since I've kind of explored that theme pretty deeply (laughs) in the past uh, couple months, uh, anybody that was hoping that we would kind of move on from that and explore new territory, boy, were you sadly mistaken. You don't understand how much uh, this myth of Harry Potter means to me and how how influenced and inspired I am by uh, J.K. Rowling. And uh, so so we're going to go there. And I've been thinking about it again, sitting around thinking about Harry Potter as I do. And uh, (laughs) and I was just thinking like, 
you know, if Hermione, ha- if the book series had been called Hermione Granger and she was the one with the lightning bolt on her head, I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately for the human world, there would only be one book because that's how I, th- how long I think it would have taken her to defeat Voldemort. Um, fortunately for the wizarding world, they wouldn't have to go through all the hardship and probably certain wizards wouldn't have had to die if, uh, if we didn't have Harry at the helm. I just think about how, uh, you know, growing up, Harry had these signs, these moments that should have caused him to believe in himself, to know that he was unique, to, to know something fishy was going on. You know, things like, you know, when he got angry, something weird would happen at home or that time when he was at the zoo and he did some weird magic and the glass disappeared and the snake got out and he trapped his cousin behind the snake like he was doing these weird magical things that don't happen to anybody else right he should have known something was up before Hagrid showed up at his door and said you're a wizard Harry I'm not going to do the accent so don't even ask (laughs) Uh, but he should have known. He should have known something was up, right? But we've got this dopey guy. I would have been this kid, the exact same. Don't really think much about this crazy stuff going on. Like, oh, that was weird. Uh, but you know, if this was Hermione, she would have been, she would have noticed that stuff in her life and instantly knew something was fishy. She'd be searching the web all day and night trying to figure out clues. And by the time Haggard showed up, she would have been like an eight, a level eight uh, witch and had her bags packed. And uh, she would have said, what's taking you so long, right? (laughs) And by the time, in the first year, she would have had Voldemort down. And that's my retelling of Harry Potter as Hermione Granger. Uh, And I just think that one of the things that has been so true in my own career is that Hagrid never shows up and it's sad. I hate it. It actually makes me feel sad that I don't feel like I ever had anybody in my life uh, show up maybe once. I feel like there was maybe one time when I was like in first grade and I would draw all these cartoons and try to get it right. And my neighbors, my grandma's neighbor, Hazel was like, you should do something with this. And I remember thinking, Hazel, you're crazy. What are you talking about? You know, people don't make money doing creative stuff. I already kind of knew that when I was in first grade for some reason. And, uh, (laughs) but really I didn't have very many moments in my life where someone showed up and said, Now listen here, you've got something truly special. You're a wizard, Andy. I didn't, I never had those moments. And you know, the deep dives that I went on required deep belief that this dedication was really gonna pay off even if no one else believed it. And, uh, I just want to encourage you to and say that you're not necessarily going to ever have this parting of the clouds moment where someone comes up to you and tells you you're 
creative destiny and tells you that you're special and you've got awesome things that we need in this world and you gotta believe it. There might not be any giant prophecy on your life and tons of people cheering you on and believing for you before you take your first deep dive plunge. And uh, I hate to break it to you, Hagrid's not coming. Now, if you really need Hagrid, I do slightly resemble him. I've got the beard for it, and I will just do it right here, right now. Listen, you're a wizard. You got creative magic on the inside, and those things that have happened in your past. Maybe you didn't, you know, trap your cousin in a snake pit in a zoo, but I know there have been moments in your life where you believed that you had something special to give. I know you had these experiences. I know it for a fact. You had these times where you were going along and you made something and you did something special and it touched somebody and they stopped in their tracks and it was special and you had a sense that maybe there was something, some work that you needed to be dedicating your life to and at some point you shrugged it off and acted like, well, that's just a bunch of hippy-dippy nonsense or, uh, you know, why do I think I'm special and humbled yourself and accepted less than your true potential and I'm going to just be your Hagrid here to day and say, you need to remember, even if you have to write down, look back through your life, what were the moments where you knew you had something special, where you knew that something really did mean something, those clues about your past, and then give it the kind of dedication over the next six months to a year to two years, dive deep, bury in those layers of strategy until it pays off in at least a few of those ways. Thank you guys so much for listening to this. I hope that it brings an ample amount of pep to your step. I hope you got so much pep in your step that you could jump over the moon this week. The creative moon, that is. not at. Anyway, thank you guys for listening to the show. And thanks to Yoni Wolf for all the theme music from his band Y. Thanks to Nay Utesh and the band Metavari for all the other tunes. You can hear their stuff at soundcloud.com slash Metavari. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing this podcast. Thank you for listening. And until we speak again, stay pepped up.